I can completely understand as a mum myself that I would want to know what's kind of the outlook for my kids is or what is going to come, but I think it's just really difficult to predict. Because um, it varies so drastically from person to person. That's it, and it's, it's hard to tell. And even normal development mm. is very varied and people do talk within a you know, develop different skills like talking within different time frames. So mm. it is it can be really hard. I guess what we do know is that accessing supports is very helpful and the earlier the better, but at any age is is helpful and that, that does improve outcomes. And I think the other thing when you're talking about prognosis is also that different things are important to different people. Some at people, different times as well, right? Exactly. Some mm. people have a really high need for social interaction. And mm-hmm. um, and so if you're someone like that, as a parent, you might look at a child who doesn't have that need and say, oh, but they need to be more social. Whereas maybe for that child, actually, they're okay with having less of that social interaction or less social engagement. So mm-hmm. it's a very kind of personal thing as well and it does mm. vary. From the Kara Gateway at the Benevolent Society, we welcome you to Kara Conversations with your host, Patty Kikos. The Kara Gateway is the Australian Government National Kara Hub and provides reliable services, support and advice, especially for carers. This podcast is where we share interviews with guests that have specialised knowledge to help support carers to look after their emotional, mental and physical well-being. We are recording on Aboriginal country, on lands which were never ceded. We acknowledge the traditional custodians and cultural knowledge holders of these lands and waters. We pay our respects to Aboriginal elders, past and present. Always was, always will be. Welcome back, folks. This is part two of our interview with Dr. Fiona Aldridge. And if you haven't heard her first interview, I do recommend you go back and have a listen. She has a Bachelor of Psychology honours, a Master's in Clinical Psychology and a PhD. She's also received specialised training in diagnostic assessment tools for autism spectrum disorder and other cognitive and developmental assessments. Fiona has been involved in research into the assessment of autism and her research has been published in international journals and she's even presented at international conferences. She's also delivered training on the assessment of autism spectrum disorders and she's passionate about providing high quality and comprehensive assessments and helping people to use their strengths to achieve their goals. She's also a mum of two primary school aged children and she believes that it's an absolute privilege to have the opportunity to hear other people's stories and to work with them to achieve their goals. And if parents or carers are concerned, what is your advice? Should they consult their GP or their early childhood nurse, a paediatrician in the first instance? Is that what you think? Yeah, so I think I, think I would say to parents too that to listen to your gut like you Mm -hmm. are the expert in your child you know them better and spend more time with them than than anyone else so if you are worried it is important to see someone and to to check in with someone and I think that um, either the yeah the local early childhood center and the nurses there or a GP is a really good place Mm -hmm. to start Um, and then if they were concerned they might refer on to a pediatrician or an assessment service for a more 
thorough assessment or they might say, you know, maybe we'll have a look at a speech assessment first or mm-hmm. we'll check hearing or we'll do some things to okay. get the, the ball started. Well, it kind of leads into my next question, actually, which is how is a diagnosis made? I mean, how can you actually access a diagnostic assessment? Yeah, so I guess there's kind of two parts to that question (laughs) in a way. And the first part about how a diagnosis is made um, really is that a a paediatrician or a psychologist who specialises in the area of autism or a multidisciplinary team, which is a team that might have a paediatrician and a psychologist and a speech pathologist and, or an OT involved, might do quite a thorough kind of information gathering exercise and then compare all of that information they've got against those criteria we were just talking about. Yeah. And if it's considered that the information gathered is consistent with those criteria, then a diagnosis would be made. Um, And in terms of accessing that service, there are different ways to go about it. So a GP might refer on to a private paediatrician who might feel comfortable to make that diagnosis or or they might say, actually, we need a more in-depth assessment that may be a multidisciplinary team or a psychologist who specialises in this area can can assess and then they would refer on for that. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's kind of private services, I guess, that come with usually a cost um, and sometimes a weight as well. And then I'm glad you mentioned that, actually, because that's a a conundrum that many of our carers face. In fact, they're almost at the end of their tether, if not at the end of the tether, when they contact us and say, look, we've just been waiting for so long. We're on a waiting list. Um, It's going to cost us money that we don't necessarily have. How can we proceed in a way where we can be supported and we can get our child assessed, even if we don't necessarily have the funds to do so? Do you have any suggestions with that? Well, I think it's a really tricky kind of area, I guess, a tricky topic because there's no I guess I don't have an easy solution so Mm -hmm. I think there are definitely publicly um, funded services particularly for children under six so Mm -hmm. to go through the child development units and you would do that um, usually on referral from a paediatrician sometimes a GP and there is no cost but the flip side of that is there's often quite long waiting lists yes because it's the public system yes Exactly. And then, as, as we've just said, through the private system, often it may be a shorter list, it may wait list, it may not, but then there but is it will a come significant at cost. A cost. Yeah. Um, there are some Medicare rebates for children under thir- 13 to 12 and under, um, which does contribute towards that, but you would still be left with, with quite a significant yeah. Yeah. I understand that. And it is an area that I want to go into at a later podcast. So Fiona, is there a standardized guideline and assessment process? So yes, is the short answer to that, that question, but in a little bit more detail, um, we have a national guidelines for the assessment and diagnosis of autism spectrum disorder, which was developed based on research, so it's an evidence-based set of guidelines developed by the Autism CRC and released in 2018. And it outlines um, kind of a process or a standard that is 
the minimum or what is needed in order for a clinician or for someone to make a diagnosis of autism. And it kind of, I guess it sets out the rules, if you like, for diagnosis of autism in Australia. And there are two kind of main processes, I guess, or main pathways that people can follow when they're accessing a diagnosis. So um, they, an assessment and subsequent diagnosis, if appropriate, can be made by a single clinician, so by a paediatrician or a child, an adolescent psychiatrist or adult psychiatrist or a psychologist um, with specialisation and additional training in the area of autism. Or alternatively, it could be conducted by a multidisciplinary team. And as we were saying, that's when there's a group of health professionals, maybe a paediatrician and some allied health professionals, such as psychologists, speech pathologists, occupational therapists, who work together to make that that diagnosis. Um, And I think it's probably important to note that even when an assessment is done by just one person or a single clinician, it is not that they're using only their information or only their observations. As part of any thorough assessment involves information from lots of different people and different sources. So um, from the parents, from interaction and observation of the person being assessed, from teachers or therapists or other family partners members or yeah. other family members yeah. um, all of that information is kind of pulled together to determine whether someone meets those diagnostic criteria and I imagine you'd be gathering history and background information that's relevant that's it and reviewing yeah. any past reports or other assessments that have been done essentially the more information we can gather about a person and their development the way they see the world the way they operate the better and I'm guessing there are a variety of different assessment tools that can be used. Can you tell us a little bit more about them? Yeah, so you're exactly right. There's a, a whole host, actually, that people can use. I guess the most common ones that are used in a diagnostic assessment are the ADIR, which is the Autism Diagnostic Interview Revised. And this is in um, quite a lengthy interview, usually a couple of hours that the clinician would do with parents or caregivers or even for adults maybe a partner or a Mm -hmm. spouse or a sibling and it really goes through a person's life from the time they were born Mm -hmm. um, their development but with a specific lens on those kind of criteria we were talking about earlier so trying to gather that information um, the ADOS or the Autism Diagnostic Observation Schedule is another really commonly used assessment tool. And is this, that also an interview? No, this is different. This is a an interaction between the clinician and the person being assessed. So mm-hmm. it's really the aim of the ADOS is to kind of mimic social situations. So what happens in the ADOS, the activities, the questions are different depending on the age it's of the person being assessed to really give the clinician a chance to get a sense for those social skills and social interaction abilities. Mm-hmm. And the CARS is a, um, or the Childhood Autism Rating Scale is a, another assessment tool that combines both kind of a parent questionnaire or interview as well as some of those observations and, and interactions. And they're probably some of the most common used in in Australia and I think the important thing to note with any of these tools is that they are super helpful and they give us a structured way to collect all this information but they don't determine the diagnosis as such it comes back to they're a way to help us gather that information about the diagnostic criteria yeah 
to determine whether someone meets those criteria. I guess my question is how can parents identify what the best tool is and then how can they access it, especially when they might even disagree with the diagnosis? Yeah, so I think often the tools that are used are probably more determined by the clinician or by the multidisciplinary team. Mm -hmm. I think they will usually have standard protocols, but it's probably good for families to ask about what they are and to make sure, I guess, that they're getting quite a comprehensive assessment. Because I think if you've been able to have a really thorough assessment that has use information from all different sources and all different people, you probably have a higher level of confidence in the outcome and the result. Um, I guess if if families don't agree with the diagnosis or the conclusions that a, a health professional is coming to, I would really encourage them to talk to that person about it, to yep. say, oh, I'm not sure I agree, and to have that open discussion because, you know, I don't think as a, a psychologist myself work who's worked in this area we we don't take it lightly like we we don't give a diagnosis on a whim I guess it's a carefully considered decision and we'll have a rationale um but we would also want to have that opportunity to talk about that but to clarify or maybe we have misunderstood something that Mm. needs to be revisited and re-looked at of course and a screen is considered the same things as assessment tools is it just a different way of of uh defining an assessment tools or are they something completely different that's a really good question they're quite different actually so an assessment tool or a diagnostic tool is something that would be considered to speak more directly to those DSM-5 criteria that we talked about and to have quite a a kind of stringent cutoff point, if you like, Mm -hmm. Um, whereas a screener is more aimed at identifying any signs and symptoms and determining whether perhaps that person then needs a full assessment. So they have a lower threshold. So people might screen as having a lot of in, you know, of needing more assessment or having indicators of autism. But then the full assessment might say, yes, there were some indicators, but the full criteria is not met. Yeah. And are there other tools for parents? I, I know many of my carers have asked if there's an app they can access. Uh, Does well, that actually exist? There is actually a really lovely app called AS Detect. So it's developed wow. by... Um, the Olga Tennyson Autism Research Centre out of La Trobe University and it's based on a lot of research and evidence and it's very nifty and it has a lot of videos and information about the different early indicators and what parents could look for and a series of questions where parents can answer those questions Mm -hmm. and then it gives next steps. So yes, you've answered in a way that suggests further assessment is warranted, go and see your GP. Or Mm -hmm. no, at the moment, there's not a lot of indicators, maybe monitor. And if parents sign up to this, I forget the exact ages or, but it will, the app will prompt parents to do it at say like 12 months and 18 months and two years. So it can kind of track. Yeah. it's It's a handy tool. It sounds like it actually. And does the assessment process differ for adults as opposed to children? The answer is yes and no, actually. Mm. So I think the the important thing is that this, we are looking for the same symptom groups, the same criteria for adults as well as for children. But um, some of those symptoms present differently. So the interest is a good example. So what someone might have been interested in as 
a child might be very different to what they have a strong interest in as an adult, mm-hmm. but it's still an interest, but it's a different interest. Um, and people might have learnt to cope or some things that were more of an issue when they were younger might not be so much of an issue now. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are differences in the way it might present, but the beha- the kind of criteria are the same. Yep. Um, but I think it's then important for adults to seek out clinicians who are aware of those differences and mm-hmm. the way that autism can change in presentation over the lifespan so that people are not missed um, and so that people's lived experiences is heard and, and validated. Um, and think- certainly so clinicians that are also aware of the depth of the spectrum. Mm-hmm. I personally think that everything is a spectrum. Um, the other day I was negotiating with a body corporate in our building and I was given an answer and the answer was no. And I said my response was, well, when you say no, what do you mean by no? And the person looked at me as though I was crazy. And he's like, what do you mean? No is no. And I said, yeah, but what do you mean? Like, is it a no, not yet? Or hell no, it's never going to happen. I just need to know where I am on the spectrum and decide (laughs) how I'm going to proceed. So I guess that leads into my next question, which is uh, taking into consideration the spectrum that exists with everything in life, but Mm. particularly with autism. What's the prognosis for someone with autism? Do different symptoms also show up? And I think that's a very good question. I think maybe if it's okay just to jump back to that adult question just for one brief moment because I think it relates to this as well. I think also another thing that's really important to be aware of um, with older children, adolescents and adults is that um, often people might mask or camouflage in order to kind of fit in or to try to, I guess, adapt to the the world around them. And this can mean that maybe some of their autism symptoms are not as overt or not as obvious, but it doesn't mean that they're not there and not having an impact on them and coming at a kind of cost to put up a facade or a mask when you interact is, um, you know, takes a toll on, on people. So I think that some adults say, well, they become quite good at that and then they go into an assessment situation and maybe the they don't get a diagnosis because they can put on that facade or they do use those kind of masking strategies. And so, have shown a level of adaptability that is unique to them. That's it. But it's important that any assessment process takes that into consideration yep. and I guess that's the difference a bit between children and, and adults. But kind of looking more at the prognosis kind of question, I think I think that's a really difficult question actually. It's it's I can completely understand as a mum myself that I would want to know what's kind of the outlook for my kids is or what is going to come, but I think it's just really difficult to predict. Because um, it varies so drastically from person to person. That's it, and it's, it's hard to tell. And even normal development mm. is very varied and people do talk within a, you know, develop different skills like talking within different time frames. So mm. it is, it can be really hard. I guess what we do know is that accessing supports is very helpful and the earlier the better but at any age is is helpful and that that does improve outcomes and I think 
The other thing when you're talking about prognosis is also that different things are important to different people. Some At people, different times as well, right? Exactly. Some mm. people have a really high need for social interaction. And, mm-hmm. um, and so if you're someone like that, As a parent, you might look at a child who doesn't have that need and say, oh, but they need to be more social. Whereas maybe for that child, actually, they're okay with having less of that social interaction or less social engagement. So Mm -hmm. it's a very kind of personal thing as well. And it does Mm. vary. To answer the second part of your question, yes, I think symptoms can or signs or indicators, whatever you want to call it, indicators is probably good um do change over time so Mm. you might see that at one point in someone's life they present with maybe a lot more difficulties in one area that then are not so much of an issue later later on Mm. Um, and i imagine that a a stressful environment or a situation would certainly impact those symptoms definitely so you do see that fluctuation Mm -hmm. according to what how else the person is feeling their internal state if they're yeah, anxious or stressed or worried, particularly, I guess, in terms of some of those more behavioural indicators mm-hmm. and behavioural signs might become more exacerbated yeah. at different times. Certainly, because you could have someone that's a very happy-go-lucky and sanguine person and then something very tragic happens to their life and all of a sudden they fall into a very deep depression when that had never happened before. So Mm. certain events can certainly impact our stress levels and exacerbate certain symptoms and conditions and responses. Exactly. In in all facets of life. How common is it to have autism and something else? Very common. So I think um, if you're including kind of a whole gamut or range of different things that people could have, things like ADHD or attention deficit hyperactive disorder, anxiety, depression, probably you're looking at somewhere between 50 and 75% of people with autism may also have one of these other Mm -hmm. conditions going on as well. And there are also some kind of medical conditions that might um, occur more commonly in the autistic population, like epilepsy is one Mm -hmm. one example of, of that. So it's been great to hear you share how autism is a lifelong neurodevelopmental condition and how it presents and what it looks like can change over time. I think it might be time for some rapid fire wrap up questions. Are you ready? Ready. Okay. Was there an event in your life that literally turned your world upside down, but somehow made it the right way up? Do you know what? I think probably lots of parents might say this, but I think having kids in so many ways, I think you can't imagine what it's like prior. Um, And they do change everything about day-to-day life. But at the same time, I couldn't imagine life without my kids and the, um, yeah, I guess the joy that they bring, but also the different perspective on the world of of seeing it through their eyes and rediscovering things through a child's eyes is just a great blessing I think yeah it certainly is and my lucky last question is if you could give carers one piece of advice to help them in their caring role what would it be I think it's to look after yourself to put the life jacket on or the oxygen mask on yourself before you look after others if you can't if you're not in a good place and you're not coping it's very hard to be there for other people and to look after people in the way that you would want to 
That's excellent advice. Dr. Fiona Aldridge, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your wealth of wisdom with us. My pleasure. It's been great having you. And that concludes our final interview with Fiona. If this was inspiring for you to listen to, please subscribe and give us a five-star rating and share this with your friends. Remember, life is not a problem to be solved, but a reality to be experienced. Until next time, be well and take care. If you are caring for a relative or a friend who has a disability, a mental health condition, a life-limiting health or medical condition, or are frail because they are older, please contact the Carer Gateway on 1800 422 737 or look us up on www.carergateway.gov.au. And if you're a carer, you're allowed to take time to look after yourself. Remember, everyone you care for is only as okay as you are.